When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, everyone. I'm Colin Livingston, host of Talking Torque, Talking Torque, uh, episode or show two. Um, kind of excited tonight. I got a very good friend of mine, Mr. John Taskin, joining me, the president of Snubco. Uh, we're going to jump in with him and uh, talk a little bit about uh, what what Snubco does. And um, you know, John is also uh, one of our partners within the world of racing. Um, so that's going to be. Uh, that's going to be fun uh, to, to get to talk about uh, our, our mutual worlds of, uh, of business and then, um, you know, our, our life as, uh, as racers. Um, over the last few years, we've actually traveled around the world, um, you know, for not just business, but, um, you know, been through the Middle East for some racing. We were just down in the States and, um, you know, definitely across Canada. So uh, very excited to have my good friend here, uh, Mr. John Taskinen. How are you doing, John? Good. Thanks for inviting me, Colin. It's uh, good to talk to you about these things. Uh, let's get through the business part of this real quick <laughs> so we can talk about racing, which I'm more interested in. Oh, interested in both. And and the thing is that, you know, both sides are are equally important because without the, the business part of it, we don't get to do the racing part of it without, you know, uh, without racing, you know, the business doesn't mean an awful lot. So. Um, so you're the president of Snubco. Uh, you're the founder. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what Snubco does. I mean, I obviously you're, you know, we work together. I know that we supply you products through Cantor, but you know, for, for people who are going to watch this, what, what do they need to know about Snubco? Well, Snubco is a company we, we started in, in Edmonton in 1996 to provide, Primarily, at the time, it was racist snubbing to the Canadian oil and gas uh, market. Um, it's primarily primarily a completions and workovers uh, system that uh, snubbing allows uh, oil companies to complete and work over their, their 
boiling primarily gas wells um, without introducing kill fluids, which is uh, really beneficial to the formations. It, um, it helps protect the formations from uh, damage from kill fluids, all sorts of uh, things that are way beyond uh, this podcast, but um, it, it's a, it's a workover and completions platform that, uh, you know, largely became popular in Canada because of the, uh, you know, a little bit mediocre wells that we have. And uh, it was a lot more important to protect the formations. You know, it's certainly a, a service that's utilized globally now. And um, the, the services uh, evolved over the years. We really don't do a lot of rig assist snubbing anymore, which is really what we started with. Um, it's mostly self-contained snubbing platforms now. That means that we do not work with drilling or service rigs. We have our own, our own pulling capacity that uh, allows us to handle the, the pipe going in and out of the well all by ourselves. We're also really engaged with what we call special services, which is hot tapping, freeze plugging, well control activities, which is a big part of our business, especially globally. Um, that's about the, the quick synopsis of Snubco. Okay. Now you say that we have mediocre wells here in, in Alberta, or is that in Canada or? Well, I mean, there's some really good wells in Canada, um, but when you compare the deliverability of, of a well drilled in Canada compared to a lot of other places, for example, next week we're picking up one of our units that's based in South America for a client in Colombia. Their average well deliverability is 140 million cubic feet a day of gas. Um, those wells exist in Canada, but they're rare. They're not common. Um, I mean, people are pretty happy with 8, 10, 15, 20 million cubic feet a day in Canada. Um, you know, if you want to go to the extreme, you look at places like Qatar or Iran, where their deliverability is talked about in billions of cubic feet a day. So, I mean, when you have a well that that is capable of delivering billions of cubic feet a day, you don't really have to worry about protecting the formation as much. Yeah, interesting. So you started the company. Uh, you started it by yourself. You had a partner. No, we had a couple. I had a couple partners. Um, just sorry, John. Just try and move that so that the mic is kind of right in front of your face. No, we started with a couple partners. Um, None of the original partners of myself are still with Snubco. They've retired over the years. I mean, okay. we've been in business since 1996. So, you know, um, my partner, original partners have retired. Okay. Um, it's, we've had a good run. Um, you know, we've had our ups and downs and, um, you know, we're currently kind of on an upswing. The pandemic, our international exposure is, you know, was hugely affected by the pandemic with uh, uh, travel constraints and things like that. And, um, 
you know, early in the pandemic, I actually found out what force majeure was, which, uh, is in probably everyone's contracts, <laughs> but it was always something you glossed over that, uh, I no longer gloss over that, uh, that part of contracts, but yeah, um, for, for people who don't know force, force majeure or force mayor is an act of God. It's something that's not foreseen. It's something that's out of everyone's control. So if you've got that, that clause in your contract and, and again almost everyone has that in business right oh yeah i mean we usually think of about um you know wars or hurricanes or you know things like this is what people consider or usually think of with force majeure the the covid situation you know brought to light other aspects of possible force majeure events that uh I mean, we lost um, some big contracts over that, and um, it, it did cause us issues. It, it looks like we're pulling out of that now, which is good. It, we need to, and, um, and the world needs to. Yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing the same thing that you know almost instantly the the world of business, you know, especially if you were in the industrial world, stopped. It didn't matter if things were going well. It didn't matter if you, you know, had, had legally binding agreements, construction stopped, maintenance stopped, like everything stopped. And, and I don't think a lot of people, unless you're in the industrial world, really understand how, how hard it hit businesses because, you know, for the most part, you know, Snubco, Cantork, you know, whoever's watching is, is no different. You know, the, if you're in the industrial world, you know, whether it's a, an oil and gas company, uh, you know, you support power generation, you're in the world of mining, like any of the, the world's industries, everything stopped. Like the, the drag lines may be moved, but they were maintained with the, the, you know, the, the, the closest people that you could get that were already on board. And if it involved a, a repair with, you know, duct tape and bubble gum, you know, so be it. That's what they had to do. Um, you know, we had, we had crazy projects. Like we're, you know, we're starting to wrap up our, or ramp up our international distribution. You know, thankfully Snubco is a, a very valued partner of ours and you guys sell our stuff to, you know, your clientele around the world. But I mean, as we're traveling around the world, spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles spending countless dollars and just getting everyone to the point that they want to start buying in COVID hit and everything stopped. The problem was we were already committed to manufacturing. We already had, you know, a, a ton of, of, um, you know, product on the shelf and now we had no one to talk to and we had no one that wanted to buy it. So, you know, I mean, for, for people who are, who are watching and, and, you know, maybe don't understand, like, obviously everyone has their own COVID story of how, you know, they maybe lost their job. They, you know, lost this out or the other thing. It, it, uh, within the world of business, I mean, it's been, you know, what are we at three and a half years now? And we're just slowly starting to, you know, lick our wounds and, and get back to normal. Yeah, it, well, it takes a lot of time in the international market too. I mean, North American market reacts a lot quicker. Um, but yeah, the international market, especially when you're talking about companies like Aramco and Adnoc, it just it, everything takes so long. And you know, a lot of it's starting over. I mean, people left. Um, people you might have been engaging with in 2019 are no longer there. 
and it's it's hard. Um, it, it's been a real uphill uphill battle for Snubco. It, thank goodness for us, we were in a really good financial situation at the start of the pandemic um, that we were able to get through this. A lot of other companies weren't, and you know we lost a lot of really good companies. Uh, you know, again in all the industries. Um, you know, because of this pandemic and people just couldn't survive it. It was, um, if you weren't in a strong position at the start of the pandemic, you probably didn't make it through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously we know each other personally. I am very aware of the, the, uh, the amount of miles that you, you put in. Um, but, you know, for me, it's super cool to have a, a, an Edmonton, a NISCU based business that does, you know, so well internationally. I mean, you know, talk a little bit about, where where Snubco was really strong and, and the, the markets you've been able to conquer? Well, I wouldn't say we've conquered any of them. We've penetrated many. Um, you know, uh, South America, for one. Again, we're, we're picking a rig up next week. Um, really good contract for a Canadian oil company. I don't want to mention their name without their permission, but um, it's a Canadian-based oil company. Had office in Calgary, all their production is in Colombia. Um, great company. Um, you know, it's, it's a really good contract. It's only a four well contract, but um, if everything goes well, they will extend it um, and turn into something a lot more long term. Um, South America is is one of our target areas. Um, we're, we're doing really well in Asia. I mean, ironically enough, with the pandemic, um, China is a good spot for us. We have a fabrication facility in China. We have a uh, um, basically a supply shop in, Cal- in, uh, in China, in Guanghan. Um, we supply most of the parts. And, and we've supplied probably half the snubbing units to CNPC in China over the years or CNPC's snubbing division is probably the largest snubbing company in the world. Um, you know, with close to 40 snubbing units, we've supplied about half of them and we supply a lot of spare parts, consumables, um, upgrades to their equipment. We do most of the maintenance on their equipment, whether we originally built it or others built it. Um, we're, engaged in a really significant upgrade program for their Chinese built equipment right now. Um, that, that joint venture with a local Chinese company is doing very well. Um, and that's all happened since the pandemic. Oh no, no. That, that all started before the pandemic. Okay. But, um, you know, China locked down pretty hard there for a while, but they also um, react really quick. So they're they're getting back to work in China. Um, you know, some of the recent news and in, in about uh, some of the nefarious things about China. I mean, China's a uh, a country with a population of 1.4 billion people, and 99.9 percent of them are very nice, honest people that are good to work with. Uh, there are a few that, that maybe aren't, but, uh, but that's no different than doing business in Canada. Yeah. We're, we're all pretty good, but we're not all good. No, 
and uh, our partner in China is, is a very nice man and um, very good company. Um, he's done very well and uh, he's really good to us and, and we work well together and, and they've done very well with uh, CNPC and, and Sinopac too. Our, the last unit we delivered to China actually was for Sinopac, not CNPC. But. Yep. Yeah, and I've I've met uh, your representatives there, and they're they're both fantastic. I've I've had the pleasure of doing some business in China, um, you know, outside of what what we do together. And I think China, you know, we hear an awful lot about them right now, um, you know, from a really negative standpoint. But you know, when you get to put your feet on the ground there, you get to meet the people, you get to you know actually do business there. They're they're extremely thoughtful. They're extremely hardworking and, and, um, you know, just, just really wonderful people. Um, you know, you know, again, all you hear on the news though is the politics. Of course. And you don't hear about the people, you don't hear about the business people, you don't hear about the common people. And I mean, let's face it, that's true in Canada. Um, hundred percent. Our politicians don't define me and the politicians in China don't define most of the people in China agree a hundred percent. And so, yeah, I mean, it, those are things you need to learn to separate a little bit. And uh, I wouldn't discourage people from doing in China, doing business in China. If, uh, if that's a market you're interested in, yeah, you got to be careful about it. We've been doing business in China now for 23 years. So we've learned the ins and outs of doing business there. Um, it's really important to respect their culture. Um, it's really important to understand how they do business because they, they do business the way they do business. And if you can't accommodate that, you're not going to be successful in China. That's hundred percent for sure. Now they're honest people. Um, and respect pays such a, a, a super important role in the business relationship. Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you've got like here, if you've got a problem with someone a lot of the time emotions will take over and, you know, people know that if, you know, they're not going to deal with us, there's 14 people down the road that they can deal with in a, in a moment's notice. And that's kind of accepted practice here. But over there, if you, if you act disrespectfully or if you say the wrong thing or you're, you know, if you're, you're too aggressive in your comments, you're done. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I found about them is it, they're very tough negotiators, but once you're done negotiating and you've made the deal, that's the deal. Yeah. And they respect it. And there's no renegotiating later. If you've decided, uh, you know, how something's going to work and you take all the time to put it down in writing and that's the deal. That's, and they'll honor it. Even if, even if it doesn't work for them, yeah. that's the deal they made. Even if you come to them later and, and I have, I've, I've come to Chinese companies we've done business with and said, listen, this probably wasn't the best for you. Let me buy that back and we'll do something different. They say, no, it's impossible. That was the deal. You can't change the deal. And that's the way they are. Yeah. Um, So you've, you've done well in South America through Colombia, China, where else is Snubco strong? Uh, you know, we're penetrating Vietnam right now. We, we did a job um, in the last little while offshore Vietnam. Um, it was a really good job for Snubco. Um, 
we uh, dealt with a well control issue that uh, a Japanese company had and one of their, you know, again, you want to talk about deliverability, that platform with four wells, I went for dinner with the drilling manager one day and he told me those wells, the four wells made $1.2 million in product a day out of four wells. Wow. Now those are offshore wells. No one, no one drills offshore wells in 400 feet of water that don't have big deliverability, but, um, you know, we, ironically enough, a couple of days ago, I got another email for another operator in, in Vietnam that, uh, has some issues and he's dealt with and was asking us how we could help him solve his problems. Um, awesome. So Vietnam, you know, that, you know, Vietnam's a country a lot of people don't think of. Um, if you like beach vacations, think about Vietnam. Yeah. You really should. <laughs> Vietnam is a wonderful country. Um, there's a lot of interesting things to see there, but if you like the beaches and you like surfing, people don't think of Vietnam, but their beaches are unbelievable. And I'm not a surfer, but uh, apparently the surfing's really good there too. Yeah, that was a big a, a big draw for why America <laughs> wanted to be there in the in the sixties and seventies. Yeah, I doubt it was for the surfing, but um, it's <laughs> that an was amazing just a place. perk. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an amazing place. Uh, the people are again, the people are are incredibly genuine and and pleasant. Um, yeah, it almost it almost seems like we we get we should have to go and meet people before we go attack them because there's so many there's so many like political conflicts that that happen and and people judge a nation based on their politics like like you mentioned earlier but if you actually get on the ground in a place like you know where you know thinking of some of the the conflict places right now China Vietnam is not really a you know that's a historic uh you know location of of you know contention India doesn't matter. These are the most lovely people in the world. Like they're, they're so thoughtful. They're so friendly and, and they take such good care of people. Like, well, and accommodating, I mean, um, you know, when I started talking to this, this Japanese oil company about their service requirements, I mean, I, I engaged with Petro Vietnam, which is an oil company, but they, they have a service division, you know, government owned, you know, the way a, a communist country would be. I mean, Vietnam is a communist country. Um, and, but I, you know, I told them it's going to cost a lot of money for me to bring everything I need to Vietnam to do this work. And, you know, I'll talk to Petro Vietnam to see what I can get out of them and, and, you know, help, help the project and help save cost and um petro vietnam was so amazingly accommodating it was unbelievable i i i could not believe the help i got out of petro vietnam i i wouldn't have expected it i wouldn't expect it out of most uh service companies um anywhere in the world um it, it was unbelievable to help petro vietnam well services gave us and that's awesome and made the uh the project a success you know we supplied a couple very skilled experts um they supplied all the other labor really good guys really hard workers they supplied a power pack um 
we did the system integrity test in their facility um, with their equipment. It was absolutely fantastic experience working with Petro Vietnam well servicing. They, uh, they, they made the project a success as much as we did really. And um, it was a pleasure working with them. We're also um, working really hard to penetrate the, uh, the Middle Eastern market. We're, we're talking to people in Saudi. Um, you know, we have been for a long time. And, you know, again, the pandemic kind of put a stall on a lot of this stuff. Um, we're, we're working really hard to get into Iraq. Um, some of our special services, you know, not so much the snubbing, but, uh, you know, our hot tapping and freeze plugging. Um, I don't know how to word this, but, you know, sometimes after conflicts, um, you know, our services are required, you know, not, not because of damage due to, you know, wars. It's largely because of just neglect of service. Um, you know, when wars are going on, uh, things don't get taken care of. You know, we've been working in, uh, Libya, you know, they've had, uh, yeah, that's been a good, that's been a good region for, for Snobco. Yeah. And, you know, again, another country with just beautiful people in it. Um, the Libyans I've dealt with are fantastic. You know, a country that has suffered through anarchy for, you know, close to a decade. Um, you know, and because of that anarchy, the, their, their wellheads have just not received the maintenance they require. And, and these, these wells didn't get put away. They, you know, when, when things started to go down there, you know, um, 11, 12 years ago, people just left. No one, no one suspended wells. No one, uh, took any care to put them away. So they'd be fine in, in 10 years. They just, they just left and, you know, rightfully so. Um, and, uh, you know, now they need to go back and, and, get some of these wells, you know, running again, they, they had big pipeline problems, you know, same thing. Pipelines were shut in, not even with valves, with ESDs, which, which I guess is a valve, but you know, things sat for 10 years. Yep. But not, so you don't just get involved though in, in day-to-day stuff. You also get called in as a product specialist when, when nobody else seems to be able to, handle the situation, you know, you just got called in recently. Um, I'm trying to think of where you got, where, where, where it was. Help me out here back in, was it like November? You had to fly in to look at a well, you got called in last minute and had to Tanzania. Tanzania. I was going to say Madagascar, but yeah, Tanzania because of your, you know, your, your personal relationship with the company, but at the same time, uh, with your your product knowledge, yeah. Well, that was a well they were very scared of. I mean, uh, the oil company was very scared of this wellhead. I mean, it, again, it was a well that was drilled some ten years ago. Um, they were drilling for oil. They found gas. They kind of half completed it as a gas well. I, a lot of people, maybe not in the oil industry, really 
understand the difference between an oil well and a gas well. You'll think, well, this one makes gas, that one makes oil. Well, there's uh, pretty significant differences in components, um, you know, especially with some of the stuff that's involved with gas. Gas commonly, well, oil does too, sometimes have H2S. Um, sometimes carbon dioxide, which actually is a bigger problem to corrosion than H2S. Um, but what was the problem with this well? Um, it was leaking. Um, it, it wasn't leaking to the environment, but the valves were leaking. And then there was outboard, uh, pressure containment devices that were holding and, and their biggest concern was if they started messing with it, the leaks would get worse and then it would deteriorate into a uh, loss of control that would result in you know, damage to the environment or someone would get hurt. And that was their big concern. Um, and it seemed like a big deal, but it turned out to not be so bad. That's the way I saw it. Um, you know, their concern was warranted, um, you know, largely because Tanzania doesn't have a lot of uh, capabilities there. I mean, like in Canada, if, you had a well that was leaking or the U S or, you know, the middle East, there's all sorts of people that come help you. Yeah. Um, Tanzania doesn't really have that support system in place. So they were concerned if it, cause I told them, I said, just send one of your operators out there and have them do this and that and this and that. And let me know what, what happens and I'll tell you how to fix it. And they said, wow, you know, we don't want our guys to touch it. Did it turn out to actually take this and that and this and that, or was it, was it, Maybe something else. Well, I did this and that. I, I definitely found problems with the wellhead. There was definitely well integrity issues with the wellhead, hundred yeah. um, percent. But it's so like to me, it's so cool that you know a dude from you know wherever you define yourself, Edmonton, Alberta, New Sarepta, wherever you call home, um, that you know a dude from a small town can get on an airplane, fly literally to the other side of the world, and you know, because of the knowledge that, that you have from, you know, your education, from your, your lifetime of experience can, can solve these problems anywhere. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've worked, I, well, I've been in the pressure control business personally for over 30 years. So I, I understand what to see and, you know, they definitely had people with limited uh, experience with that. So I mean, just like a mechanic will start taking a nut off a bolt and notice right away there's a problem with this. So maybe he just doesn't spin it off. Maybe he goes back and forth. Maybe he lubricates it. Same kind of thing. I mean, I, I know how to approach these well. Sometimes it's simple as knowing where to stand. I mean, like, um, and, you know, and, and doing things in a way and looking for for evidence of incompetence in these components that, you know, just spinning them open and spinning them shut and pressure testing things is, is not the way to go. Um, you know, especially when you don't have a lot of backup and, you know, their concern was warranted. Um, and, you know, I did, I did a complete audit of the wellhead. Um, I, I supplied them a report and uh, offered them recommendations on how to move forward, which, 
they're they're going to do a work over on that on that well um, coming up pretty soon actually, and I I told them what needed to be done to safely do their next step, which which is going to require some some more equipment and it's special still, procedures. It's still like super cool. Again, to me, to you know, a, a guy who's you know trying to do the same thing that this is what you're doing. But you said the most important thing you wanted to talk about today wasn't about business. You wanted to talk about racing. Oh yeah. Well, that's the fun stuff. Okay. So what part of racing do you want to talk about? Go-karts? Do you want to talk about today's testing in formula one? Um, Where where do you want to start? You're the guest. So I I like all sorts of racing. Um, I gotta be honest with you though. I did not really pay attention. I was really busy. I had to put something together for some folks in Abu Dhabi today. So I really don't know. So much you didn't, about... you didn't see that Max Verstappen uh, was the only driver in the Red Bull car and turned 157 laps of testing today. I do not know anything about the testing today. I, I believe it was in Bahrain. It, it was in Bahrain. Yes. But other than that, I really don't know anything about the Formula One testing. Okay, so well, we don't have to talk about. We can talk about that, but I'll just be telling you things. Yeah, but that's fine. We. Uh, well, was was there even did everyone test or was yes. this? No, this was the open test. Um, the 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 donkeys of the day were McLaren. Uh, they had uh, what appeared to be a lot of brake issues. Um, well, we all, we know all about that from Florida, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll be the next topic, but, um, you know, McLaren really struggled with brakes last year and it seemed like this year they didn't have the same level of brake issue, but they maybe had a something similar and had to work on their, their ducting. Um, they, they were the lowest on the list at a hundred or at uh, 92 laps. So, um, you know, between them, Aston Martin, when when um, uh, Drogovic uh, launched the car, there was an electrical issue. He had to slow down. They um, they they handed the car over to Alonso in the afternoon, um, and they've said he's going to run all day tomorrow. So I don't know what that means because uh, whether you know or not, Lance Stroll is is ruled out. Um, he was involved in a, a cycling incident, and they won't say what. The oh, damages. I wasn't aware of that either. Yeah. So Lance Stroll is sidelined with the only thing they've said is the injury has affected his hand and his wrist. And then when asked to elaborate, um, the team boss said, no, we have to respect privacy. So I don't know what that means and why they won't talk about like if he broke his wrist. Okay. It's obviously going to take a couple of weeks. It's not like the other teams can adjust their strategy based on whether or not Lance Stroll is going to be in the car or not. It's not like in the world of, you know, hockey, if you know a guy's hurt somewhere, you know where to hit them and, you know, take advantage. But um, yeah, so that was kind of interesting today. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, You know, I guess some of it, I think they just, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, they don't want to disclose that kind of stuff, but it, you know, I, I wouldn't put a lot of weight into, you know, preseason testing. I mean, there's – everyone's trying things. I mean, I, I'm sure they all want to show up and be the fastest guy on the track, but you you don't even know if they're running legal. They, you don't know 
so many things that uh yeah i mean red bull was number one uh without any issue today um alonso was actually this he, he put up the second fastest time i i actually compared um race laps versus qualifying laps to kind of get an idea where they were running they were running way quicker than a conventional race lap but they're still not quite to qualifying times yet uh, and then you know so much of that depends on what tire are they running you know mercedes as an example last year obviously they struggled with porpoising their their car was was terrible um they were so far behind with what they they wanted to do because they couldn't get the handle of the car and they couldn't figure out what was right with the car so they had to start running their car higher and they had more wing and they had like everything went backwards for Mercedes last year, this year, you know, car comes off, you know, they had their, their media day. They had their less than hundred kilometer laps at, at Silverstone, but they're saying there's no porpoising on the Mercedes. So today they kind of ran, they were just behind um, Red Bull, uh, Red Bull turned 157 laps. And I think Mercedes turned 150 or 152, like just short of three Grand Prix out of their, their running. So they were really, really stable today. Um, they say that tomorrow and, and through the week, uh, through the weekend, um, they're going to start maximizing the car. They haven't actually done anything yet. So uh, that's going to be interesting. But our worlds, as far as racing and, and hands-on racing, revolve around karting. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about the pandemic earlier. I mean, Matthew's race car career ended. So Matthew is your son. Yeah. You know, his, his last big car race was 24 hours of Dubai, which you know you were there. And then, uh, you know, he got offered a contract with an Audi team after that race. And then March 2020, that was the end of his race career. And... uh which, you know, I think he's pretty happy with his situation. I mean, he, he's hooked up with, uh, you know, yourself, CRG, Alex Tagliani with CRG in, in East. And I think he's pretty happy driving CRG DD2s for fun. Um, he's having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, and, um, you know, he still, has, he still has big goals. He wants to win. He wants to win big events. And he will. Um, but to that end, you know, like I know Matthew as a person, I know him as a racer. I've raced alongside of him in our, our club races here in town, but I've supported him when we go, you know, elsewhere because uh, let's face it, he's a lot better than I am, but you know, he's a lot younger than you and a lot lighter and he has talent. You know, the only thing I have is a like, I, I want to go fast, but he knows how to go fast, but we were just down in Florida. So we just competed in uh, what was called the uh, Rotax winter trophy events, um, you know, put on by just some of the best people I've ever met in racing with uh, grid 14 um, and the, 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 the Rotax folks in, in the Southeastern U S watching uh, on paper, the races that we did, Matthew should have, walked away with the 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 trophy no problem but it turns out there were only five of us there i was basically a, a mobile pylon the the fourth kid from columbia was good 
but there were three guys. There were just three guys that were so fast, but so close to each other that it was actually, it was probably like one of the tighter races that we've ever been to between Matthew and John Luca and, you know, Jonathan. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about that too is all three of those drivers have been to the world championships several times. So the, yeah, they are good drivers. They were all driving different platforms. I mean, um, John Lucas was on OTK. Matthew, of course, was on CRG. And uh, Jonathan um, was on Praga. And completely different platforms. Um, you know, people that aren't uh, familiar with karting, there's, there's inherent characteristics with, with different chassis that, uh, you know, just like Formula One or Ferrari is different from Mercedes is different from a Red Bull. And, um, you know, at times, uh, you know, the reason, and I don't want to take anything away from John Luke, but uh, I mean, the reason he won that championship is he, out of those three drivers, the only one that didn't have problems. I mean, in, in the first weekend, Matthew had brake problems that we couldn't solve until the following weekend, which um, not having good brakes in a cart that goes 90 miles an hour is a problem. You'd think brakes would just slow you down, but you, you kind of <laughs> need them. You kind of need them. I mean, I mean, he had brakes. He had rear brakes. He just didn't have front brakes. It worked very well. So, you know, I mean, the thing is, okay, you got to start slowing down twice as far away, you know, so that affects lap times. Jonathan, really great kid from Australia, um, really good driver. I think he was the best driver in that series, to be honest with you. But he um, he had engine problems. Yeah, they, and, they really, and they, I don't think they ever solved them. You well, know. they seemed to solve them the last day, but which, we, was, I which mean, was we, too late. We spent, like, once we kind of befriended everyone that was there, we spent a lot of time with, with Jono and with Shane, his father. We barbecued together at nights, and, you know, what I love about racing is while we might be competitors, they're asking us for help. They're asking like, who do you know? That's an engine guy. Who do you know? Like, and we had, you know, we had some friends that were at the racetrack and we connected them. Like, listen, let this guy take a look at your stuff because he knows what he's talking well, about. Even before that though, I put him on the phone with uh, Kevin Glover, the soon to be CRG rep in Ontario. Uh, I put him on the phone with uh, Joey Guyon, who's, you know, Matthew's engine builder for, you know, the stuff we use in the West, you know, the Rotax guys, I knew I put them on the phone with these guys, you know, that's how the effort that we were going to, to help these guys, you know, be on the track. And, and that's, that's the part of racing that most people don't understand is like, yes, we're there to compete, but we don't want to beat you on a day when you're not at your best. Like if you've, if everything's running well, well, we don't want to beat him in the pits. We want to beat him on the track. I Absolutely. Mean, even John Luca. I mean, he came over to our tent there one morning when we were already back in uh, Orlando, and Matthew still had a really good chance to win that championship. And you know, John Luke came into our tent in a panic, saying his cart wouldn't shift. 
a, a DD2 platform, people that don't know, um, is a two-speed transaxle and his, his cart wouldn't shift properly. So I went over and had a look at it and told him, well, you know, this isn't right and that isn't right. His mechanic wasn't a DD2 guy. So, you know, I helped him fix his problem, which maybe I shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Matthew would have won the championship. But, you know, again, you don't want to beat these guys in the pits. You want to beat them on the track. And, uh, you know, he he did not have a problem on the track that whole but series. The, the thing that, you know, I, I still can't get over having shared a track with these guys. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't racing these guys at all. The only time I passed these guys was when, you know, Jono had an issue. Um, the Colombian kid had an issue. And at one moment for like three seconds, I was in third place in a five car race. And within a heartbeat, those guys got past me. But when I was watching, you know, and I've seen the broadcast now and, you know, thanks to, you know, our friend Henry Baudet um, and, uh, uh, now I'm drawing a blank, our friends from Car Chasers. When I was watching the broadcast... Xander. Xander, yeah. Those guys, the the top three of, you know, Matthew, uh, Gianluca, and Jono, they were within, like, carts of each other. Nobody ever drove away. The only time was, like, in a practice session, Matthew kind of got away when we were in Orlando, he had a really good practice session and, and it looked like we had everything up and running. And then the next thing we knew, the next session, he was in the wall and we had to fix a bunch of stuff, but they were so close. Like the, the, the parody between those guys was unbelievable. Like it doesn't matter. You put those three now in those carts at the grand finals instantly, they're top five guys, they're top 10 for sure against anybody else in the world. Yeah, I mean, they're great drivers. Um, yeah, Matthew actually hit that wall twice, which, you know, you know, the trouble with that is he knew he had a chance. He knew he had to be fast. He knew he had to win everything. And unfortunately, sometimes when you're looking for the limit, you find it. And that's what happened to him two, se- two test sessions. That's, back that's back. not fair. <laughs> Matthew had mechanical issues. He, he didn't push too hard. There, there was an issue. Oh, was I didn't I didn't realize that. I, well, I we replaced we replaced a master cylinder and we replaced. Oh no, that was we did that before that though. Yeah. yeah. After we replaced the master cylinder is when he hit the walls, and we thought we had everything up and going, and he went out and was looking for speed, and and he was fast. I mean, like he qualified on the pole. He was fast. It's just on those practice sessions, um, like I say, sometimes you're looking for the limit, you find it, and. That was an unforgiving corner. Um, you know, it was the end of a long straightaway that was I- extremely fast on a very greasy track. With a kink. So With a kink. So you come out of a, um, a chicane where you have to essentially hammer at least one, if not two curbs, kind of get your cart settled through a hairpin with a bit of a dog leg run straight and then just as you're getting into the braking zone you kind of have to shift left yeah well changing gears and yeah i mean tough corner certainly but yeah but that's racing yeah that's racing. i I did a blog post about that's racing is like that's that like 
that erases everything. Like it, it makes it so much easier as long as you know that's racing. You well, know, like I say, sometimes when you're looking for the limit, you find it. And unfortunately, sometimes when you find it in racing, it means you hit a wall. And, uh, but the, the, so we can talk a little bit about the comparison between the two tracks that we were at because I've, I've gone on at length about the first track um, and how, you know, while it was like, I'll, I'll mention it was PK, PK um, Sports Park uh, just outside of West Palm Beach, um, which first and foremost, you know, Carlo, Willie, all the staff there were like amongst the best people at a racetrack I've ever met. They were so friendly, so accommodating and took such good care of us. But the track to me is deadly. Like not because like, yes, it's physically hard, but it was dangerous where you've got driving lanes separated by six feet and there's a chain link fence in the middle. I, I was so concerned about that racetrack and I don't know that they'll actually go back and, and make it safe. Um, you know, there's been another big event there since we were there. The, the rock guys were just there last weekend. I heard they changed it for them. They ran the opposite direction and they took out the section of the infield with the S's. So, but that was it. They still ran the, the rinky dink, um, you know, part where we would come down the front straight away um, and then make that, hard left-hand turn to the super slow right-hand hairpin that was still left in there while they could have run smooth onto the front straightaway but you know regardless the the track has a lot of potential but i think it's far too dangerous if two carts ever connected in the wrong way and somebody ends up helmet first into that chain link fence it's over yeah i mean you know, I think that track was built for the rental carts, though, which are much slower. And they have, you know, different uh, collision absorption well, systems. They've got, and... they've got protected wheels, and they're way heavier. They don't, those like, for one of those rental carts to launch, it takes something serious because you don't have wheel-on-wheel contact. But you take two junior carts that have, like, a 300-pound weight with exposed wheels, it doesn't take much. Yeah, no, I agree with that. They, you know, again, though, I think that track was built for the rental guys, and and I I I think they'll put some effort into making it more, you know, accommodating for faster, more high performance cards. You know, they're going to have to. As I mean, let's face it, this is a new series. Um, it's only their second year. Um, the first year they had fifty carts. This year, I heard what they have close to a hundred. I think. Um, you know, it's a building series and, you know, well, and, these... and our race was the very first race at PK, like outside of the rental cards. We were the first ever, you know, like proper, you know, pro type karting event. Yeah. And I, and I think they'll put some effort into fixing some of these things. I mean, they have to, I mean, there is a legal liability to, you know, consider safety and, and I, I think they understand that that uh, they need to make some changes. Um, I mean, the promoter of the event, um, when I left, you know, the the Orlando, he asked me to send him recommendations for next year. So um, that's odd. He didn't ask me for those. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. 
Yeah, maybe he wanted the opinion of people further at the front. I don't know. <laughs> but wow. um, he, I mean, he, you know, whether you just didn't put yourself in a position for him to ask you that. I mean, I don't know. Um, when he when he had that discussion with me, you were already gone. You left the track about a uh, half hour before we did. I well, I, I had to get to my airplane in my hotel room. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe. You just Sorry, the, the joke here is that I drove the motorhome down 44 hours by myself to get to Florida with our race carts. But then John and Matthew drove everything back 40-ish hours on the way back. But I got to get a hotel room and I got to like have a nice long shower where I didn't have to worry about running out of water. And uh, they got to talk about their feelings for three days. Ah, uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of that. Uh, usually, one of us <laughs> was driving say. and one of us was sleeping. <laughs> um, we did that trip pretty quick. Um, you guys made better time than I did. Yeah, I mean, we struggled with a few things. We had a flat tire in the trailer that cost us four hours, but outside of that, it was a pretty <laughs> smooth journey. Um, you also recovered a lost cell phone that cost you three hours. Yeah. Um, our, our good friend uh, Shane. No, it didn't cost us that much. He, he called us. He called us. We weren't that far out of Orlando. We pulled into a truck stop. And, uh, we went and had something to eat. I I don't know if he really held us up more than half an hour, really. Yeah, but you know, those are those are the the behind the scenes stories that that happen in the world of racing. Yeah, and with two drivers, we probably drove longer than you. I mean, we were typically driving till about two in the morning and up and going by six, you know, and there was opportunities to sleep when the other guy was driving and yeah. everything went really well. Um, no, so, so no what, problems. what's on tap for this year? Uh, you know, the carding really. Um, I mean, Matthew's pretty excited about that test in Italy with CRG factory. Um, I did talk to Marco a couple days ago. He said he's still trying to sort that out. Um, he, I don't know if you know this. He, I don't even know what car he, I mean, Matthew's supposed to only drive CRGs, but uh, Joey guilted him into driving his shifter cart in Phoenix next weekend. Uh-oh, that might <laughs> compromise the deal. Um. Joey's a good friend of both mine and Collins, and uh, he has a shifter cart in Phoenix um, for the Challenge of Americas, and uh, he asked Matthew to drive it for him. Um, I don't think Matthew's all that interested in driving the shifter cart, but he has a friend that's going to university in Phoenix, so he agreed instantly to go to Phoenix to race a go-kart. Which isn't a big hardship, I don't think. Um, More track time, help the body out a little bit. Well, all seat time's important to a race car driver for sure. Um, so he's going to do that and then, you know, mostly back home? Yeah, I think primarily. Um, a couple his, of road tax events and hopefully we get him to some club events. Yeah, he'll, he'll do what he can at the club. I mean, his focus is going to be the Canadian finals. Unfortunately, he's going to miss the Canadian Open because his sister's getting married that weekend. So uh, 
you know, his focus is going to be the Canadian finals, which, uh, is a two race event. Um, the first, uh, Stratotech, which was a track I used to race at when I was the moving pylon on the racetrack. And, um, it's a fast track. I don't know what condition it's in. Uh, hasn't been a karting event there in a while. We'll find out. I guess the bottom line is it'd be the same for everyone. So if it's bumpy, it's bumpy for everyone. If it's great and smooth. I mean, the one thing I can say is when Dan built that track, it was no expense barred on. Yeah. Dan Beath. Yeah. Um, and then you got to go to Chilliwack. Yeah, and then Chilliwack. And Chilliwack's, you know, a track Matthew's always done really, really well at. Um, you know, going back to when he was a rookie, um, you know, one of his first races outside of Alberta was in Chilliwack. It was a Challenge of America race with, you know, big names. I mean, Stingray Rob, who just signed a contract with Indy, was there. He's got to won that race. You know, Matthew come in fifth. And, uh, after that, Matthew never lost another race there until a couple of years ago with the Canadian finals. There were some problems he had at the start that didn't work well for him. And that every other race he's done in Chilliwack, he's won. It's, it's a racetrack. He's always done really well at for whatever reason it, it suits his driving style. Um, it's a track he likes. So one of the better tracks in Canada for sure. Well, I wouldn't really talk about it at the same level as Montreal Blanc or Mossport, to be honest with you. Um, but but it, yeah, it's a great track. But they're all kind of made in the same style that they have really solid bases. There's not a lot of bumps. They're, you know, uh, Chilliwack is, you know, really, a, um, it's got a lot of flowing sections. It's got some fast sections. You know, definitely doesn't compare to Tromblon. I mean, Tromblon is, there's nothing better in the entire world. Um, so other than, you know, the the race at... Um, well, that track in Portugal was pretty great. I know you didn't drive it, but uh, you were there and you watched it. Um, I mean, that was a pretty great track. Yeah, there was there was a lot about that track that was really good. Um you know, some of the, the curbing, you know, which ended up costing Matthew his, his shot, um, was a little bit extreme, you know, where curbing can rip off an engine mount. Um, you Not know, only if you hit him. and again, it's the same for everyone, you know, like, yeah. But what was funny is that he followed the same cart, you know, followed the same tire tracks as the guys in front of him. He just got unlucky and everybody else managed to get by, but I doubt he only hit it once. You know, that's the thing. I mean, you you hit a curb once and you break something. It's, oh, I hit a curb and I broke it. And it was like, wow. Was that the first time you hit that curb? Yep. Maybe, maybe not. So, (laughs) and then Matthew is still going to do a handful of races in Eastern Canada? Well, yeah. I mean, um, he's planning to do, well, he was planning to do all of them. Unfortunately, uh, he can't make the Canadian Open. but I mean, he does have to go to his sister's wedding or not that he has to, he, he wants to go to his sister's wedding. Yeah. Once in a while, it's really a pain in the ass when life gets in the way of racing. Well, I told him, just tell her you'll come to the next one. Yeah. Bingo. Well, that's your daughter. <laughs> you can say that. 
but uh, either way, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, he's going to miss that race. He intends on uh, doing, well, he's intending now to do all of the Coupe de Montreal. But again, um, you know, he's working. Uh, he's not a professional race car driver. He's uh, or go-kart driver. He, you know, he has a job. So I'm sure there'll be some conflicts. He might miss a race or two. I don't know. But uh, he's committed to do everything he can. He will do everything he can when, when there isn't a work conflict or other race. I mean, he missed, he missed a race last year because it conflicted with Canadian finals. Yep. But, I but mean, he, won, he won, what, three or four of the Coupe de Montréal races last year? Yeah. I think he three, won I think. most everything he did. He didn't win the championship because he didn't go to. Because he missed, but yeah, the 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 race at uh, Saint Hilaire, um, where he was riding in second and made a pass on the last lap, was described to me by Alex, uh, you know, Alex Tagliani, as one of the best passes he's ever seen in racing, where where Matthew just totally committed to. A corner i mean it was like three or four corners from the the checkered flag but just threw it into a corner made it stick i think there was a little bit of contact and then he drove off and uh you know he got that win uh the win that i saw him do at uh, mount tremblant in the rain um i've seen some dominating races before but that was like another level because they were all great race car drivers um, but in the rain, Matthew had something, something that the other guys didn't. And, um, you know, even with, uh, with, a with an engine issue on the last lap, you know, still managed to, you know, I mean, he finished like, uh, 40 seconds ahead of P2. Like he was close to lapping the field. Uh, if, if he would have, you know, kind of stuck, you know, if his engine would have, uh, you know, that spark plug would have <laughs> had that issue, but yeah, it wasn't an engine issue. It was a spark plug issue. True. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, he finished the race. Uh, I was watching it online. Finished just, it. He won it, like you know, and still convincingly won it, even with you know two laps to go. I mean, I was there. I was watching the whole thing, and and through the uh, what what they call the toilet bowl, um, you know, cart went off, spun backwards through the grass, and then kind of out of control, came back on track as Matthew was coming to lap the guy, and just somehow didn't manage to hit him like that could have ended the thing right there but yeah it was a really 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 cool win yeah well it was good yeah he, matthew's always been good in the rain we were kind of hoping for rain in orlando there kind of help matthew's uh prospects but that didn't come um i mean there are a lot of good racers you know the the good racers tend to be good in the rain um you know it's all about cart control there are some that aren't i i've you know i've seen and known drivers that are fair weather drivers and they can't drive in the rain for whatever reason um i mean with matthew i think it goes back to when he was little i mean when he first started karting it was um we'd go out when it was raining to the local track for him to practice and he wanted to it was you know i did it once and said ah it's raining we should go practice after that it was he was asking for it it yep. was, you know, it was raining. He goes, well, let's go to the track. I want to practice wet racing. 
and you know, I he doesn't like racing in the rain. Like I don't think anyone really likes racing in the rain oh, outside it's cold of cold and it's wet and it he's it good at it. Sucks. So he doesn't mind when it races or when it when it rains when he's racing. But uh yeah, it's definitely a good skill to have when um when it rains, you're not scared of it. There are people that when it rains, you know they don't want any part of it. Yeah. And so so we should probably wrap this up. We've been, we've been uh, yammering for, for quite some time. What's one thing you want people to know about racing that they probably don't already know? Oh man, I wish you would have given me heads up on that question. I, you know, I, I think, I think people that, that don't know racing got to go to the local tracks, you know, not the Daytona 500 or, you know, the formula one races or even the indie races where there's a lot more accessibility, go to the local track and see the camaraderie between the racers and the mechanics and see how much of a family event this truly is. I mean, if you go out to EDKRA on a race weekend, double header and hang around till after the racing and hang around till 10 o'clock at night you'll see the competitors sitting around a bonfire, having a beer, telling stories like their best friends. Stealing a golf cart. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I think the grassroots part of racing is what people don't understand. And, yeah. you know, people see the stuff on TV with Formula One and NASCAR and Indy and all this stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's a big circus. But it all starts at the go-kart track or the dirt track or whatever that is just as family orientated as soccer or hockey or your knitting club. Um, oh no, my knitting club is on another <laughs> level. But no, I mean a hundred percent, you know, it come out, you say EDKRA, um, you know, Rotax Mojo Raceway um in Warburg is our home track here in Edmonton. Uh, Calgary, uh, CKRA, lovely track out in Strathmore. Um, there's, there's local tracks in, uh, just North of Saskatoon, Regina, uh, Chilliwack, you know, and across Canada. Tasquin. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we have a great oval here in, in Edmonton where we, uh, we run the NASCAR Pinty series. Um, great racetracks all across the, uh, across the country um and and hopefully um we haven't put too many people to sleep uh, talking about business talking about racing um but you know john thank you very much for coming in today i uh, really appreciate you giving me the time um you know fascinating stories love hearing about you know uh what what businesses do you know especially for you know edmonton based businesses you know canadian based businesses that are doing so well internationally and uh you know obviously look forward to being a partner to to you and matthew uh through the racing uh world for for years to come yeah look forward to it thanks for the opportunity to meet with you today and yeah to everyone listening get out to the local track yeah for sure i mean there's dirt tracks in uh sangudo there's get out to a local track go, go down to rimby yeah, and usually the entrance is free or ten bucks. Like it's cheap, cheap, cheap. Yep. And you yeah. get to see people who put their their entire hearts on, you know, put their hearts on the line. And you know, this is, 
you know, this is what, you know, most of us do for, you know, spend five to, you know, 10 days between races trying to prep for the next race and, you know, working on our equipment, working on our bodies, working on our budgets, working on everything so that we can get back to the track next week and, and do the thing. And, you know, uh, from, from, you know, my standpoint, you come out to uh, Warburg to, to EDKRA, uh, free admission um, on the weekends. There's a, a you know, a, a, you know, a hot dog, a, a sandwich truck, a food truck uh, that you can buy food. We have flush toilets. We have, um, you know, proper faucets. You can wash your hands and get to watch, you know, some of Canada's best racers um, as they're developing their skills and, and a lot of the kids that, uh, that you can see on the weekends, they will become professional racers, um, you know, in, in due course. So again, well, either KRA has got to have a dozen drivers that have been to the world championship. Absolutely. And, and at least a dozen more that could. Yeah. 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 So these, these are skilled people, but yeah, come out, be part of the event. I, I do recommend that. And it's you'll you'll see the this is the pond hockey of of racing yeah and when people are doing it for the love of the sport not for money (laughs) the only money in in this level of racing is the money that goes out there's nothing that comes back in unless you got a crazy good sponsor but again you know john thank you very much for giving me your time loved hearing your story and uh look forward to doing this again uh you know uh in probably two weeks outside of a motorhome somewhere okay good night Okay, thank you very much. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.